Welcome to Blood and Spirit, the podcast for Black families evolving. I'm your host, N.J. Malay Ali, and my guest today is Ms. Alveda Swain. Ms. Swain is the Executive Director of Strive to Thrive in Albany, Georgia. Strive to Thrive is positioned as Albany's vision to empower families. Ms. Swain believes that there is no greater joy nor greater reward than to make a fundamental difference in someone's life. Through her steady tenure at S2T, she's made a difference in the lives of hundreds of our Albany's best, shepherding families through stormy waters to terra firma, a strong foundation on the earth and in community. Welcome to Blood and Spirit Podcast, Ms. Swain. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your super busy schedule. And, you know, I asked my guests um, about their favorite non-alcoholic drink each time, because I think uh, what we drink is such a window into culture. Uh, There was a time when I wanted to do a whole podcast about that, a whole blog about um, what people drink. So tell me, what's your favorite non-alcoholic drink? My favorite non-alcoholic drink is actually Mr. Pitt. It's not exactly healthy for you, but (laughs) I just really enjoy it. I enjoy the taste. How does that come about? You know, I really don't know. Um, I've been drinking it for so long. I don't really really even know how it came about. You know, I I know Dr. Pepper, but Mr. Pibb is like way (laughs) on the edge of my consciousness. (laughs) And there's still a few restaurants that actually still serve it. Get out. That's that's pretty amazing. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. So the statement that I read at the top was a quote from your email. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's your signature. And I find that people's email signatures are part of their signature, part of their um, creative and service signature, you know, the message that they want to deliver to the world. So tell us more about that, what that means to you. What it means to me is my entire life has been a life of serving, even from childhood, those experiences. Uh, Back in 1981, I was actually the volunteer of the year for Volunteer Albany. As a teenager, I volunteered at Girls Club of Albany Mm -hmm. at the time. And my mother was a a retired school teacher. And one of the things that she raised me to do was to give back and to serve. So I've always been in service Mm -hmm. of some type. So your mom was uh, was a volunteer as well. My mother volunteered as well, and she taught school as well. So she was also involved in a lot of different organizations, and as a result, involved me in a lot of um, civic and social organizations as well. Fantastic! So that passion stayed with you. Yes, and it's gone through different iterations over time. I imagine it has. It's evolved over time. But I think now that I look back, I think that everything that I've experienced has led me to this moment in time because I believe that I was born for this. I mm-hmm. believe that I am where I should be and I'm, I'm where that part of the journey has led me to. Um, I can remember being 13 years old and making a phone call, trying to call a friend and called the Marine base by mistake. And there was this 18 year old um, that was there in training who answered the phone mm-hmm. and he indicated that he wanted to kill himself. And I remember at 13 oh staying word. up all night long talking to this young man on the phone, having no idea, you know, how to do anything else. But in my mind, I felt like I can't go to sleep. And, you know, I had to go to Mary Acres Middle School that next, that wow. next day. Uh, and I had a teen telephone. 
mm-hmm. at the time they were really popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called the house phone back. My father answered the phone and he asked my father if he could bring me some flowers. So that was my first, the first time I received that flowers so was for that. But what I didn't realize was that that was my first encounter that would lead to many more encounters mm-hmm. of engaging with people who were hurting and broken mm-hmm. and just being able to, to reach them, you know, at that place where they were to be able to just provide that support. That is fantastic. And so Strive to Thrive as an organization, how did it come to be in Albany? Strive to Thrive actually was birthed out of the Chamber of Commerce. In 2009, the Chamber recognized that there was a need in Albany. And Forbes magazine um, at the time, 2009-2010, ranked Albany as the fourth course MSA in the nation. Mm-hmm. So thus evolved Strive to Thrive, and we were a part of a movement called Move the Mountain, which is a national organization. And we were involved in a program called Circles. And the whole point of that was to help impoverished individuals move to self-sufficiency through the circling model of encircling them as a community to be able to help provide those needs through mentorship of individuals that were from middle class who would be able to impart some of the knowledge and some of the values and a better understanding along with resources. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's how we started. And in 2011, we became our own entity. We are still housed in the Chamber of Commerce and receive a great deal of support from them, but we are actually an independent entity now. Wonderful. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, how How have you found that um, the exchange between the families, because it's it's one thing uh, when you when you look to give someone something, give a family like it is the exchange. It's not a one way street. In other words, it's not just the middle class families giving to families that are looking for additional resources. There's also that exchange that happens. Can oh, you tell us certainly, some of the stories that certainly. Happen? Um, because what happens as a result of that, there's just some, some natural things that take place. And so our whole, our whole motto is it's a hand up and not a handout. So what it does for people who genuinely volunteer, who genuinely want to serve, a lot of times they lean towards giving because it also makes them feel good. And so what we do is we train our volunteers through something that's called Bridges Out of Poverty. Mm -hmm. So it helps them to understand the worldview of those individuals Mm -hmm. who are living in poverty and help them understand that the core value is relationship. So Mm -hmm. relationship is very important because when you don't have resources or money, you have people. So that's why that is so important. So helping both groups understand the worldview of each other mm-hmm. is something that we do. And then what happens is amazing things begin to happen because on that one side, you have stereotypes that are broken because there is understanding. Mm-hmm. And on that other side, you have understanding that comes from the fact that we live under middle-class standards. So Mm -hmm. what does that mean? What are the hidden rules of society? So when you are teaching me the hidden rules of society, now I understand why there's that expectation for me to operate like that, Mm -hmm. why school operates like that, why my job operates like that. Mm -hmm. 
church, every entity in society mm -hmm. operates on those middle class values. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so with those middle class values, how did those work in your life? Part of those middle class values include education. How did you pursue your education that led to um, your taking this position? Well, education, I think, was just a given for me in that my mother was an educator. Mm -hmm. So that that's just something that was an expectation. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting for me was education was always a big part of my life. And there was a point where I decided to take another road. Mm -hmm. um, I was a junior in college and I decided that I was going to get married. I had fallen in love. So what ended up happening is me too. <laughs> my, my husband at the time was a recruiter mm -hmm. and he was recruiting here in Albany and I met him, we fell in love, got married. I was attending school at Jackson State University. In Mississippi? Um, yes, on a scholarship at Jackson State University. And I remember we got married in August and at the end, two weeks later, I was at home um, and I started to pack. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm packing to go back to school. I'm 19 and right. he's 26. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm packing to go back to school. <laughs> he said, no, you're not. He said, you're my wife. You're married. I said, I know, but I have to finish college. And he wow. says, well, you're just going to have to roll it off and stay. And I said, no, but I can't do that because, you know, all my senior stuff is coming up. I, right, have my, right. I was a theater major. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I have oh, my wow. senior play and I have all these things. I said, oh, and I just remember sitting there thinking, oh no, my whole life is coming to an end because I, you know, I love you, but you know, wow. I need to finish my education. I need to do this. So I made the decision that I wanted to have children then. Okay. So we're going to put this on hold for a little while. And my mother is saying, no, you know, you need to finish school, but I want to finish school in Mississippi. So mm -hmm. we need to see if he can get this whole recruiter thing transferred. Mm -hmm. Um, so I decided that we were going to start a family. And in doing that, in doing that, um, unfortunately, my child was still born. Mm -hmm. And so that just led to a whole series of things. Eventually, mm -hmm. I would have a daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, we, we were stationed in California, several other duty stations. Mm -hmm. And it would not be until... My oldest daughter, two daughters, it would not be until my oldest daughter was a junior in high school that I would go back to complete my degree. Wow. So she and I both had graduations oh. at the same time. <laughs> she graduated from um, high school, and then my graduation from college would be three years later. But in the meantime, I was enjoying an amazing career. I worked mm -hmm. for the state of Georgia. Um, as an employment specialist, I work with persons with disabilities for a very long time. So in my background, there's counseling, there's vocational evaluation. I've worked with all different types of populations. Mm -hmm. I uh, was a supervisor for education program in, and with the Department of Corrections. So I've actually worked in prison, um, the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. I've run the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. um, I would go on to, after I finished that degree, I would go on amazingly the next year and complete a master's um, in education and counseling, counseling and psychology. That's wonderful. How did your, um, your undergraduate degree, you finished the degree in theater? 
I did not. I finished the, the degree in leadership, okay. organizational leadership, okay. not knowing that I would eventually evolve to be a leader mm-hmm. of an organization mm-hmm. because there's always just been that passion um, for me to really be able to grow something with genuineness, to be able to impact people's lives in mm-hmm. a very genuine and authentic way, mm-hmm. not so bound and confined mm-hmm. in bureaucracy. Right. And or in one particular right. area. Right. Because Drive to Thrive deals with the in a holistic way. Right. We way. deal in a holistic way with with the family and all the issues surrounding the family. And when we say family, we're talking about we encompass the children, any extended family that they may involve, mm-hmm. even family that may not even be biologically related to exactly. them. So whoever you call family is who we embrace and accept yes. as your family. Wonderful. And that's that's what the title Blood and Spirit is about. It, it honors the fact that not all the people that we recognize as family and connect with the as family are blood relatives or even adopted relatives. There are people with whom you have relationships that you honor and appreciate and respect and, and that you've developed a spiritual bond. And that's what happened here. Uh, one, of, one of the stories that comes to mind is we had a young lady who came and when she came, she had um, a technical college degree, wanted to do more, but her mom was just saying, you just need to go to work. Why don't you just go to work? And she had a good family. That wasn't the problem. There were no issues there. But, you know, sometimes when you achieve something, depending upon the family and the background, they feel that that's enough for you to be right. able to sustain. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this young lady had so much drive, and but it was being suppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, she had so much ability, but it was being suppressed. That's what I should say. And she had one child. She had a son. And she was paired with this couple. And this couple actually took her up under their wings as though she was their child. Okay. So she moved into an independent living situation beyond her, um, beyond her mom. Uh, she would finish a degree at Albany State. Mm-hmm. She would go on to come back to work for Strive to Thrive as our coach. She would leave us and go work for another organization in her field. And she is now in her second year of pharmacy school. That's fantastic. Yes, it is. is And so that is the kind of evolution that we that we're experiencing with mm-hmm. people. And I keep saying there's no cookie cutter way to get people out of poverty. Cookie cutters are reserved for cookies. Exactly. People, <laughs> people are individuals and their walks are individual. Mm-hmm. And that's why, because we're a two-year self-sufficiency program, mm-hmm. there's some basic things that we ask that you come with, a GED or a high school diploma, because it's hard enough to move to self-sufficiency in two years. So you have to have some basic foundational things. I never thought Maslow would ever come up in the real world but oh, it's really but true on a regular the hierarchy of higher needs is really it's real real and so if your basic needs are not being met you can't hear anyone talking about you know some of the things that we talk about as far as self-sufficiency is concerned mm-hmm. because you're in the tyranny of the moment trying Absolutely. to solve these Absolutely. these problems and, and you know so 
uh, financial literacy is not going to mean a whole lot to you at that point because you don't even have anything to really be able to even manage. You know, that was that's so interesting because an example, two examples that that I'm um, thinking about, Nipsey Hussle. Um, I, I, after I didn't know him before he passed, mm -hmm. and I began to watch some interviews after that, and in one of them he brought Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs up in regard to how uh, gang members are thinking. It's like they, they can't go beyond that. They haven't settled that safety position yet. Their, their basic needs are not being met. So that they really cannot hear you beyond that point. Right. But what they do receive, the, the sense of security that they do receive is the love and acceptance that they get from that gang. Group. Exactly. And that's what they're, you know, they're searching for that and they accept that. And then they then they are inspired to qualify according to those rules, right. as opposed to uh, qualifying according to the middle class values that we you know kind of want to steer people toward. And the other thing was an experience that I had uh, right in your office this morning. Okay, uh, I was listening to Miss Regina take a phone call and explain to the person who was inquiring what the services of Strive to Thrive are and how they work. Uh, that person was looking for housing. She said, we don't just provide housing. We provide you with a whole set of uh, tools to help you towards self-sufficiency. But if you just want housing, we actually are not able to provide that in this moment because that aspect is not available in this moment. But we, every day, we're always available for self-sufficiency. And the young person said, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I need a house right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, she couldn't go beyond that moment. And so that was a very interesting lesson and it goes, you know, straight to what you're talking about. Yes. So, so who were some of the influencers? You know, I know you said your mom was one of your influencers and I know the young man that you helped uh, in that situation when you were 13 years old, yes. you know, became a great influencer in your life. Did he remain in your life? No, he didn't. Um, didn't so who were some of the other additional influencers um, that helped you become the person that you are today? Well, I, I ended up having a supervisor who's still in my life right now, who's amazing because the thing that she taught me more than anything was that you need to be able to meet people where they are and it's so important, communication is so important, but having, being able to have empathy to be able to understand people beyond your own references and then making sure that you are not using transference and transferring your feelings and those things to them. And she gave me so many opportunities when I was um, under her supervision to be able to utilize my creativity so when there were things that were available where uh, my, my skill sets fit that's what she would do and she helped me to be able to recognize those things in other people mm -hmm. and to be able to cultivate those things in other people because a lot of times people come with things that they don't they don't see or even if they see them they have fear mm -hmm. and so they don't execute them so she really helped me in so many ways um, mentoring me mm -hmm. um, her name is Catherine Andrews and Catherine is still in my life mm -hmm. to this day she was my supervisor 
for about 15 years. Here in Albany? Here in Albany. Um, I work for Vocational Rehabilitation Services. Mm -hmm. And she was an amazing lady. And the one thing I remember her saying to me that I've always kept with me is, there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And I've just always, right. I've always <laughs> remembered that. So yes. when I'm faced with something, yes. I'll say, there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Right. Okay. So is this the right thing? Yeah, is this the right thing? <laughs> yes, that's, that's wonderful. So as executive director and person of many hats in S2T, I see you as a local expert on, on what our families are facing and uh, the challenges and some of the successes of our local families. So can you speak to that? Because some, some of what you see a lot, some of the iconic things. Sure, I see. think what it is, we deal a lot with generational poverty. Situational poverty is a lot easier to navigate because a situation is what thrusts you into it. But prior to that, you have reference, you have experiences in middle class, so you know how to navigate. Mm -hmm. uh, but now it's just going to take some adjustments and some resources to be able to get you out mm -hmm. of where you are. With generational poverty, it's different because here you have, you've been now you've been almost birthed into this cycle. Mm -hmm. And so this mindset is there. So the biggest challenge is not the lack of resources, it's the mindset mm -hmm. that, that has to be dealt with. People, their self-image, mm -hmm. all of those things have to be dealt with and people have to actually be ready to deal with it because change is an inside job. Mm -hmm. So what happens all <laughs> too often is that we give people the resources but we don't teach them how to manage it, and we don't make sure that they have a real understanding of how to implement these things that we're training them on. Absolutely. For example, we have a parenting class at Strive to Thrive. Well, after we complete that 10-week class, we have now started a parent-child retreat. Mm -hmm. So it's an engagement retreat. We take them to Callaway Gardens. We spend the night, but we have sessions. And we talk about what's your role as a, as a daughter? What's your role as a son? What's mm -hmm. your role as a father? Mm -hmm. What's your role as a mother? Mm -hmm. What do parenting meetings actually look like? Let's have one. Let's set some rules. Okay, so we know that in other experiences, people develop family crests. Why can't you have one too? Absolutely. So what does this look like? What does your piece look like? You develop your piece as you as the family member, as the role that you take on. But we also ask people who don't have children to come to parenting. Mm -hmm. Because it's important that you have a frame of reference. Were you nurtured? Right. Maybe in the future you may touch another child. Absolutely. What is it? Did you get what you needed? How do you get what you need? Mm -hmm. You know, all of those things. Um, we deal with in that class. So helping people to really be able to practically apply is what's so very important. A lot of times we talk about training, we talk about education, which is wonderful, and, I, and I'm a firm believer of it. But beyond that, I need to see that you know how to practically apply it. Absolutely. And so I think one of the biggest challenges is just that, the, mind, the mindset, being able to help people overcome um, the things that they've been taught in error or fear. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about fear, false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. And fear is a, one of the things that holds people 
pulls people back. That's that's that transcends class, mm -hmm. that transcends Absolutely race. Does. Fear is just one of those things. So being able to help people with that and um, teaching them how to develop networks mm -hmm. and how to use what's in their hands. Mm -hmm. So I think that those are some of the, that was one of the biggest challenges, I think, is just overcoming the mindset. And I hear you saying, you know, when you, when you um, spoke about um, the roles, mother, father, sister, daughter, mm -hmm. cousin, um, do you find that sometimes when people have been living in generational poverty, they really don't have a frame of reference for what those roles mean? Exactly. They don't have a frame of reference because some of them have been thrust into multiple roles mm -hmm. or roles that are outside of what their role really should be. We find that a lot with children, mm. we find in, especially in poverty, because a lot of them have been thrust into the roles of moms, okay. you know, uh, where they become responsible for their sisters and brothers because mom is either working or, you know, living her life mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that happens, that happens a lot. And then being able to help parents see why that's so unhealthy mm -hmm. and yes it may be necessary and we're not saying that mm -hmm. but how do you create that balance for right. that child right. Right. you know where it doesn't become you know just just overwhelming and resentful mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all of those things in the process and so that's so, so role identity fear can you name one more of those mindsets that you really need to to help to break through to get to get through that generational poverty. Entitlement. Entitlement. Yes. Explain. When I say that is sometimes the mentality is is that I should have this because I deserve this. This because I am I am at the, the lowest of the wrong. So this is something that I should have mm -hmm. automatically. There's nothing that I should have to do for this. This is something that should be given to me. Okay. You know, as a means of my situation, as a means of where I am, as a means of the fact that this has now become an expectation, okay. you know, and so that becomes really so the relationship between to deal with. work and lifestyle or income is is a little bit off mm -hmm. or, or a lot off. A lot off. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. So. Um, Wow, you, you've given me a whole lot, a whole lot to, to think about. And, and when you are in the process of helping to straighten out those, um, those thought processes, what's your focus? My focus is asking people to genuinely look introspectively. Okay. So there is a four-week class that I actually teach. It's called Getting Ahead in the Just Getting By World. And so one of the things it asks you to do is take a look at where you were five years ago. Mm -hmm. I have these three chairs. And they sit in the first chair. And the first chair is, where were you five years ago? What did it look like? Mm -hmm. Because we're very much into mental models. Everything mm -hmm. we see has a mental model. Even if we watch the weather report, mm -hmm. you know, we see the little school bus with the, with, with the rain falling down mm -hmm. and the little child with the umbrella and the lightning. 
It's a mental model. Mm -hmm. So now we're asking them to create their own mental models so they can create a future story because we know that without a vision that people perish. So vision plus goal equals success. So how do we help people develop those SMART goals and then move to achieving them? And so I'll talk about that in a moment. So they sit in the chair and they reflect back where they were five years ago. Mm -hmm. And they sit in the second chair and it's, where are you now? What does it look like now? Mm -hmm. And then the third chair is your future, where you're affirming. You don't say, I want to be, it's I, I am. am. And so <clears throat> that those first two chairs are sometimes very difficult. And then it's interesting, sometimes five years ago was a lot better than today. And then some of them mirror each other. Mm -hmm. There's no change. And so it is very powerful. And so we, we ask them to do that. And that begins to generate the thought, deep thought. I mean, I'm feeling that right now. <laughs> I'm feeling that, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing myself, you know, in that right. exercise. Right. And seeing how powerful that will be. I'm going to do that. And so we talk about the five stages of change. Hmm to help people understand where they are in the process and to also let them know that one of the stages of change that people stay stuck in and can stay stuck in for a long time is contemplation, yes. where you're contemplating, yes. but you're never moving yes. to the preparation stage. Yes. So we talk about that. We talk about back doors. How do you close those back doors? Because mm. we know back doors are exits. Mm -hmm. So how do you close the back doors in your life? Those things are very important. What are the 11 resources that it takes for you to be able to make it, to move from surviving to thriving? Because we know in poverty, some people are so proud of the ability to survive. Absolutely. And so it, it gets- I'm a survivor. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so, you know, being able to, to move beyond that whole mentality is something else that, that we really try to work on. And then we, show them what are the hidden rules mm -hmm. you know what are your hidden rules mm -hmm. you know because we we, we talk about that, that there are rules amongst groups of people absolutely um even in your house we talk about mama rules absolutely and your kids know the mama rules but if they bring somebody else into the house they may not know that you're not supposed to sit on bed so somebody has to tell them that mm -hmm. and that's what happens in our society period people have to be taught yeah, these things. And yes. sometimes people assume that they should know them. I had a coach and someone asked me, they said, um, well, I just under, don't understand why these people have to buy a television every Black Friday bigger than the last television. <laughs> and I said, it's because entertainment is very important. The ability to entertain yourself is very important when you don't have money. Okay. So, so helping people helping people to understand just as i was saying talking about the questions that are asked about people that are impoverished because there is not an understanding of those worldviews and that's why it's so important to have those being able to understand that for example the mother that pays her boyfriend's probation fine and her lights go off mm -hmm. He is significant in her life because when she has nothing else, she has him. Mm -hmm. And so there is not a regard for maybe what is necessary because he's viewed as necessary. Mm -hmm. In poverty, people are like possessions. Those relationships are important. Whereas in middle class, 
it's different. Mm -hmm. It's about achievement. So when you meet someone in middle class, it's where did you go to school? Mm -hmm. And where are we going together? All of those things. Mm -hmm. Whereas, for an example, in poverty, someone goes to jail. When they get out, they have a party. They have a big party, welcome home. In middle class, is now you have to prove yourself. You have to get a job. You have to do all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so helping people to understand those expectations and why those expectations are there. The other thing is looking at how to build that future story. Mm -hmm. Where are you going? What does it look like? What is it going to take you to be able to get there? What are the resources that you need? What are the barriers? What doors do you have to close? What people do you have to leave? And that's the scariest thing mm -hmm. for a lot of people is breaking ties. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, a story that just sticks out in my mind is a young lady who came. She had a little son and her mother and her brother were living with her. Everyone in the house was working, but she was paying the majority of the bills. And it was just so stressful for her. And we had those conversations about how sometimes you have to be able to separate yourself, even though it's mom, even though it's family, because mm -hmm. family is very important. It, relationship is very important, but in order for you to really be able to move from surviving to thriving, sometimes you have to separate yourself, and she really struggled with that. So we help her walk through that, help her to move out independently um, through a partnership that we have the city of Albany called Tenant Based Rental Assistance, mm -hmm. where the city pays a portion of the rent, and then the participant has responsibility and they're able to move anywhere in the city. So a lot of times it's even upgraded housing. Most times it's upgraded housing for the participants. So she did that. Uh, she finished her pharmacy tech degree. Mm -hmm. um, and we have quite a few pharmacy techs. We're really proud of those uh, young women. Mm -hmm. But she finished that. She went to work actually at a pharmacy that was run by her instructor. Um, and it was just an amazing wow. ride for her, but she was still struggling. Okay. You know, with this is my mom, this is my brother, and they were still pulling on mm -hmm. her. So finally, you know, after belaboring it, she decided, you know, I'm just not going to turn a death ear to it, and I'm going to do what I need to do to take care of myself and my son. She completed the program successfully. She came back about six months ago. We saw her. And uh, I asked her, how's your mom? She said, my mom is a firefighter. Wow. <laughs> her, sister, her mother that actually became, yes, her mother actually became a firefighter. She is now working um, at Archbold um, Memorial Hospital. Wow. Has full benefits, is doing well. Her oh son is doing well. And so just being able to set that framework up for people mm -hmm. is so very important because a lot of times people or even raised feel guilty yeah. if they didn't do certain things mm -hmm. so we have stories on the other side of that also a young man who we were assisting to move into that independent living situation he has saved over seven hundred dollars i want to back up strive to thrive has a mandatory 
readiness account, meaning that everyone that's connected to this program has to mandatorily save money. Okay. They decide how much it is they want to save. They save that monthly. It's put into a secured readiness account through a local bank here, and they cannot get the money out until they discontinue. Okay. So whatever the emergency is, they still cannot get that money out unless they discontinue from the program, either successfully, which we hope, um, or if they happen to terminate negatively, mm -hmm. they, they receive the money back. And so the goal is for that is it's purpose-driven savings. Yeah. So they attach a purpose to it. Mm -hmm. uh, some people want to buy homes. Some people want to do other things with it, purchase vehicles, however. But that money is there in that secured account um, for them. But this young man, he was already removed. We had even gotten furniture donated. And the day that he was supposed to move, he came and he said, I can't move. I said, what's wrong? He said, my mother, my mother had a $600 light bill and I had to pay her light bill. Oh, I wow. said, but you have four other siblings. And he says, I know, but they don't do anything for her. And I said, could it be that they don't do anything for her because you've taken on that role and you never allow them or, or there's no expectation for them to mm -hmm. do anything. He says, I know, but that's my mama can't move. Wow. Yes. And not end of story, I'm sure. It's not the end of story because this is the beautiful thing. So this is the thing that gives me great satisfaction. He went through the steps of the program. He completed the program. Even though he had that fall, he is. He now has a permanent job with um, an employer that has benefits, and he's living on his own. It just took him a little longer. It took a little longer, but he got the education portion. Mm -hmm. He got the resources. He got all the tools that he needed. The thing he had to do was make a decision mm -hmm. that he was going to implement those mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you had that any? Happens. Oh, that, that's that's a wonderful story. Mm -hmm. Have you had people who have gone into business, have done gone an entrepreneurial route who came through? Um, We've had one person to start their janitorial business awesome. on the side. We have had one person. On the side, they didn't make yeah. it their, their primary income? No, they didn't income. make it their primary income yet, which we think is very smart. <laughs> <laughs> because they want to make sure that this thing, mm -hmm. sustainability is there. Exactly. Because they have five children. Mm -hmm. So, wow. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's good stuff. So there's one other thing um, that I want to talk about, and that is with Strive to Thrive, and that is your garden. Tell us about that. Okay, our garden. I did want to mention with the activities that we're doing for Strive to Thrive, we have two 10-week classes per year. Okay. We are training in parenting, personal professional development, financial literacy, and then there is a leadership component that's built into it because we believe in reciprocity. So there. Um, having to do a Strive to Thrive Gives Back project mm -hmm. for the community. And we are just now um, implementing that. That's new this year, and we're really excited about that. We have someone that's going to lead that uh, that we think is going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, for our children, we work with the children 0 to 17. We have character education for them. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have partnered with an organization, Quest for Change, and they're actually teaching health relationships um, 
sexuality, all of those things that our students or children may encounter and how to navigate through all of those things. We teach the six um, pillars of character to our children that are nine and under. Mm -hmm. And so we're really excited about that. We have a great group of volunteers who actually facilitate those classes for us. We have moved in the Doherty County school system wraparound building, mm -hmm. and that's where we do our training and our weekly meetings. Um, our weekly meetings involve dinner on Thursday nights from 6 to 6.30 mm -hmm. with our families. Wonderful. And then at 6.35, we transition to class until 8 o'clock. Our garden suffered a really big hit with the storms of 2017. Since that time, then we had a hurricane. <laughs> so since that time, we have a wonderful uh, gentleman, Mr. Ernest Christian, who has stepped up to the plate because he wants to help the community. So he's actually revitalized our garden. We had our first garden event since the 2017 storms. Mm -hmm. um, this past weekend Wonderful. and it was art in the garden mm -hmm. so our children were able to paint fruit and butterflies oh, and they were able to sample raw vegetables because a lot of our parents didn't even know that you can eat raw zucchini and raw squash and, mm -hmm. and raw bell pepper mm -hmm. so they sampled that with a little ranch and they really loved it mm -hmm. and the parents while the children were playing games and painting, they were performing the garden maintenance. Mm -hmm. Because what we do realize is it's very difficult for families to come together and be able to do things sometimes, our adults in the families, because they do have those obligations for the kids. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we always try to keep in mind as Drive to Five. So we always try to find a way to be able to accommodate the entire right. family. Mm -hmm. So it makes it easy. Mm -hmm. We even had a little two-year-old out there painting. Oh. It was really <laughs> precious, our little Picasso. But there's also garden education that's going on. So teaching people how to actually plant how to actually properly harvest, what things can grow together, what things can't grow together, because what our goal is is to have them transfer these skills to their homes. Mm -hmm. And so we've recently um, looked at doing the box spring gardens. You know, we just rip the uh, material from oh, around the from box spring, the, uh, yes. and it's already it's already divided into fours. Okay. And so it's just an Fabulous. easy way to be Fabulous. able to do that or planning in swimming pools or, or however mm -hmm. to be able mm -hmm. to just make it happen Wherever in their space. Right. And so I am working on something called lessons from the garden mm -hmm. because there's so many lessons to be learned from the garden. You know, um, even when I was talking to you about how, for example, weeds, if you don't continually pluck Mm -hmm. the weeds will choke the life. Mm -hmm. That applies to life too. Absolutely. You have to be careful with making sure you keep those mm -hmm. things that are toxic in your life so mm -hmm. you can grow. So the, the lesson here for uh, our participants, it will be called Lessons from the Garden and it will the faces will feature actually our children. And so we'll have a little character garden mm -hmm. where we will teach those lessons from the garden. Wow. Um, 
So we have a lot of things that, that we want to do. We want to have garden days. Mm-hmm. Our plans are to have garden days for the community. So the additional things that we grow will bag them up and people in the community can actually stop by and just get free vegetables. That's fantastic. Yeah. Where is that? Where's the, the garden, garden is at 414 Harmon Avenue. And the reason the garden has so much significance for me is the flood of 94 came and wiped out my family home that was located on that property. So the garden was actually my father's garden and the property next to it that we, you know, use, that's where my house was. Where my oh, family yeah. home was so for me it's like coming back and reclaiming this yes. and saying i really want to give yes. back to a community that's oh, given what so a much to me what a beautiful legacy yeah. and so yeah. that's where i am uh to tell you the truth in, yeah. my, in this whole process right now um building a resume is no longer a concern <laughs> it's about building legacy but not only that transgenerational legacy mm-hmm. you know um, i've seen people say strive to thrive teaches a man to fish no strive to thrive wants to teach a man to own the pond oh, because that, like that greater things come yes. come with that yes from and and the community piece you know everybody coming together mm-hmm. to be able to do that is such an important thing that you that you're not just building families that's that fa- those families are spilling not not to minimize the building mm-hmm. of families right. because that is that is phenomenal work but and you're building community. And that is that is what I just recently posted um, when I shared that on Facebook. I was saying, you know, not, not only are we growing vegetables, but we're growing community. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that is so very important uh, for people to understand how to live and thrive mm-hmm. and grow together and mm-hmm. what an impact yes. they can have together. Um, I think that's so important and being able just to engage all people from all sectors um, is so very important. And being able to feed yourself yes. is such an important part of self-sufficiency, <laughs> right. because individual we have, and community self-sufficiency. So now this is the plan for the garden. In the remaining boxes that we have, we have eight families that are going to take on these boxes and we're going to do garden sharing. So one family may be growing tomatoes and another cabbage and they're all responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And then they will share okay. with each other and be able to share uh, with the community. But it empowers concept. them. Beautiful yes, concept. because if we get people that respect each other, respect land, respect the process mm-hmm. we can do more and learn the cooperative right. process exactly well at the same time exactly incredible so now let's let's turn the the spotlight on you for just a moment okay okay and talk about uh, your growing up family like you told us uh, were you the only child no I wasn't the only child my brother is actually 13 years older than me so there's quite a space there my mother is from Mitchell County and my father was from Dallas Texas so they met here when Turner Field was an Air Force Base, mm-hmm. and that's how they met. And my mother um, is an educator, mm-hmm. and my father was career Air Force. Okay. And so I came along uh, kind of late in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was almost at the end of his career, but I spent the first six years of my life um, overseas okay. in England. Okay. And then we came back to Albany and... Did they meet in Albany? They did. 
Okay. They did. Oh, right, at Turner Field. Mm-hmm. And your mother was, um, was she teaching at the, was, it, was there a young a school, an elementary my, school? My mother actually began her career in Sylvester in Worth County. Okay. She was actually pregnant with me while she was teaching. Oh. So. <laughs> you were in the classroom with yes, her. Yes, I've been in the classroom uh, before birth. Yes, right? so I feel like I've been in the classroom my entire life. Uh, <laughs> so... Yes, and then and now um, you created lessons 15, from the garden, right? At fifteen months, we went overseas to England. Okay. So, and those were some experiences. Even though I was young, I remember because I automatically thought that a man was supposed to buy you flowers because I remember going to the markets with my father yeah. when I was young, and he would buy me flowers. Mm. And I guess one of the other experiences that. It's probably really um, amazing now that I look at it now um, as an adult was I got an opportunity to see the Beatles and Inga or Humper Dink and Dusty Springfield, (laughs) you know, and Tom Jones. Oh, nice. You got the the real uh, real deal. And then even to be able to stand on the London Bridge, the original London Mm -hmm. Bridge before it was torn down. And so just a lot of different experiences, um, diversity. My father was a big proponent of you respect all people until they give you a reason to disrespect them. And I remember growing up, my father, whenever we would go somewhere, we would sit in the middle of the room. And I went there. Because <laughs> there was, you know, especially during those times, there was automatic segregation. And that still happens. People sit in their little boots or however they do it. And I said, why don't you have to sit here? And he says, look to the left. I said, okay. I look to the right. Okay. He says, well, you're in the middle. So you have a perfect view of everything. Mm. And so, you know, I I was like, okay. And so my experiences growing up, my mother was very much into providing cultural opportunities for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So I was in dance and piano. Um, I was a debutante. Mm-hmm. I was actually the first person from Dorothy County to go to Governor's Honors in theater. Oh, wow. And so my parents provided a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the greatest memories also for me is getting in the car during the summer and take cross-country trips because my father was from Texas, so mm-hmm. we'd go to Dallas. My brother was in college at East Texas State, mm-hmm. and so we would go there, and then we would go to Ohio. And mm-hmm. my mother had um, seven sisters, and only one lived here in Albany. So we would go to Maryland, and we would go, you know, all these different oh, places wonderful. in the car. Mm-hmm. And I would always stop at Stuckey's and eat those pecan rolls, <laughs> you know. And so there was also an expectation for me to excel to Mm -hmm. exceed Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of there was a lot of emphasis Mm -hmm. on that and it has served me well you Mm -hmm. know when you're a child you really don't appreciate that but now I really do appreciate that the first speech I ever made was in kindergarten and it was children learn what they live. And I go back and look at that now, that thing is about five paragraphs long. And, and so I was like the kindergarten valedictorian mm-hmm. and that is actually where my first oratorical experiences began mm-hmm. was that early. That's wonderful. And so it's, 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 you know, you can look back and now and see the path 
you know, that you traveled, that it, that it was all, that it was set. You know, it seems to have been set and you, you took the steps, you know, that went along that way and you didn't um, really deviate. I never seen or, or heard of you talking about a deviation. And even if you did, you know, the deviation uh, was in my education. That's where the deviation started. But I went back to that path. Exactly. Because I knew came it. right back. But I went back to that path when I was really ready to go back to mm -hmm. it. And what that taught me was is that times, places, seasons, experiences, things don't always have to happen on that specified timeline. Mm -hmm. It happens on your timeline, mm -hmm. not necessarily on timelines that people specify. Because like I say, those things have to be, those things have to come out of you. And a lot of times people don't succeed because they're not ready to take the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. even though the even though those things are important, mm -hmm. and I'm not minimizing that at all, but I do now. Even with my own children, I was able to understand from my point of reference. So if they said to me, "Well, Mom, I really don't want to do this right now," mm -hmm. right now is what I was able to hold on to yes. and be able to understand. You know what? Yes. It's not yeah. a rejection. Right, it's not a rejection. But I can't want something more for someone than they want for themselves. And that's what I have to even learn, had to even learn with my family. That's a continuous lesson. It is a continuous lesson because sometimes it's so hard because you're about to see somebody uh, hit right. the wall. Right. But then it's sometimes in hitting that wall that has just produced some miraculous, miraculous things. understanding. Yeah, it does. Opening. Right. You know, so that was their time. Yeah. And that so with time. me in my whole family dynamic, I just appreciate all of the experiences that I've had and they've been many and I've just really learned a lot and I'm grateful, mm -hmm. you know, for all of them, good, bad and indifferent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Sounds like, you know, you had a, a really, really great set of values that were poured into you during the course of your life. And uh, it appears that you also, you know, carried those same values into your, into your children's lives. Have you added to, consciously added to some of the values that you, that you were given as a young person? Certainly, because this is one of the things that that generation of parents um, they were a lot of times so focused on providing and all of those things that there wasn't an extreme level of nurturing there sometimes. Mm -hmm. So with my own children, I became very conscious of Touching. physical touch, mm -hmm. saying I love yes. you. Yeah. Those kind of, I knew my parents loved me, no doubt about that. But just that generation, mm -hmm. my providing for you, my giving you opportunity, this is my expression of love. And now I so appreciate that, but I knew that I needed to extend that beyond, mm -hmm. you know, to say that because those things are so very important. And black families are evolving, and that's yes. an evolution that you're describing. You, you and, and you, in in our evolution, we're building on the strengths. Yes. And and in this opportunity, you know, you shared so many strengths 
um, from the families that you've encountered, from your own family, from your from your own vision. Right. Um, so we, we really, really have some great things uh, that we can, can use and uh, add to the resilience of some of the families who will be listening uh, to us. And I'm, and I'm sure that you're going to get some more knocks on your door as a result. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Um, so do you, does your family have like an eldership system uh, with grandparents and stuff? You know? you know, that was the thing that was really uh, unfortunate for me. I never really got a chance to experience my grandparents. Um, both of my grandfathers um, had passed away before mm. I was born. I only had one grandmother. And by the time, she actually used to live with us, but I was, a, I was, a, I was really, really young. And mm. when my parents transitioned um, to overseas, she went to live with another one of my mm. mom's siblings in Maryland. So she never came back. And so she died when I was young. And so I never got an opportunity to really experience, you know, having grandparents. My mother is definitely the matriarch of the family. My father passed away um, in 1993, mm -hmm. right before the storm. And so it was just really my father died in 93. The storm came and wiped away our house wow. in 94. Oh so there was just like this that wave was of tragedy, yes. But that's why when I took my mother to the garden, tears were in her eyes mm -hmm. because it's like now there's life. There's life, yes. Back in the place that she and my father worked for to, to build family and yes. to build a home. I mean, there's, I can't so, imagine a greater legacy So than seeing that. that coming back to life was really amazing for her so what it's done for me though is I call myself super nana <laughs> <laughs> because my ch my grandchildren I cannot ex just even describe isn't it a whole feeling yes I love my children but the love I have for these little kids and and what I do is I, I tell my grandsons, you are Joseph's, you will be problem solvers, you are David's, you are men mm -hmm. after God's own heart. I tell my granddaughters too, you know, you're an Esther, you're Deborah. Mm -hmm. And I tell them who they are mm -hmm. and those experiences I capture. My kids were like, these kids have more pictures than we've ever had in our <laughs> whole lives. It's because I want to document it. I started something awesome. with my grandsons called Nana Dates mm -hmm. because they're 11 months apart. So I started it with my older grandson. And so we would do things and I, I would write. I would write under the I write under the pictures of what this experience was. And in the beginning of the book, it's his mom and dad. And it says, you know, I thank them for the gift of your life. I loved you before I knew you. Mm -hmm. And because, and I say, you will be loved all the days of your life. So no matter what yeah. happens. And so I put $5 bills behind each of the pictures. Okay. Uh, in case my daughters hear this podcast, <laughs> they didn't know that. But, and when my, there's 200, 200 slots. So when my grandson graduates from uh, high school, then he'll have that, oh, that is to, so beautiful. to do what he wants to that do. So hopefully invest in stocks or something. But the bottom line is, is that now as a Nana, I can go back and reflect on all the good, bad, and different experiences. Mm -hmm. And now at this place, at 55 years old, be able to give them that 
that wisdom yes. that you know and and be able to nurture them a whole nother place mm-hmm. be able to just cultivate the right. things that I see in them to be able to impart that wisdom to their parents who are young. I mean, it, it's just a mm-hmm. whole nother, ah, that, that, I can't even describe. Yes, yes <laughs> that, that heritage that you're giving them as well that they'll be able to take for and to have it in a package. And this is yes. one of the things that I really, really, really want to encourage um, parents to do, mm-hmm. uh, to package that information, package the, the information about who, who grandma was, what was her name, where did she live, what was she like? And my brother is actually the historian in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his son, they, um, they capture all of those things. They are wonderful about that. Um, my sister-in-law has actually done a scrapbook for each of her children. Yeah. She has one for each of her children. Um, one of the things that she does that I've adopted, when the kids are born, they have ornaments Christmas. Mm-hmm. They have an ornament each year until they're 21, and they have these boxes. And so to then, it becomes, then it becomes, you know, they hang it on the tree pass. every year. Yes. So just, just have those little things um, mm-hmm. within families are really important. Really important. Really important. And thank you so much for that, because we want to be able to share those practices that we can you know carry on um in our families like you you've inspired me to do some additional things uh with maintaining our heirlooms and maintaining yes. and curating and to record that oldest member in your family to, uh because you know sometimes to us it just sounds like they're babbling but they have such such history in their such heads history, and to be history. able to extract that and, and, and to be able to keep that and mm-hmm. for you to know who you are and to know where you've come from and then just to watch yourself evolve and watch into yourself your evolve. own, to come into your and own as we continue amazing. to evolve. So is there something from your grandparents that your mother or your father repeated, something that they said as 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 mom used to say, or as dad used to say, or as your grandmom used to say, do you have any of those? My mother says it all the time. She said, my mama used to say, just wait and see what the end's gonna be. <laughs> okay. okay. And you know, I, under- I understand mm-hmm. You understand that, that now. I do understand that. Because it, it, it also, that particular statement uh, helps you know that we are not at the end, that you're, you're that things are still growing, things are still progressing. And it's like, I I think that I've encapsulated that in, in my teaching when I say that you shouldn't concentrate on the rock in the road, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. Because if you concentrate on the rock, you're gonna hit it. The goal is how do you get around the mm-hmm. rock? It's just like that pothole. You know, I've done it a thousand times. I've seen the hole in the road and I concentrate on the hole and I run right in the <laughs> hole. But if I concentrate on going around the hole, then I miss it. So every our time. consciousness follows our eyes and our actions follow our eyes. So with all of that, all of that, that input, all that beauty, all that output uh, that you've described, what are your five-year goals? What are your five-year visions for your family? For my personal family, my five-year personal vision for my family is that they reach a level of stability that causes them not to be shifted. 
from place to place so much. And I think what it is, I think it's a, the sign of the generational times. Right. Um, and so I have to embrace that also. Mm -hmm. And I think my daughter said it best. She says, you evolve, how you evolve, when you evolve, and you should never bleach the red flags because they're red for a reason. And I was like, how profound is that? It is profound. So I think that, to be honest, I don't really have a vision for them. I have a wish for them. Mm -hmm. And that is that they continue to evolve, evolve, and be healthy and whole. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things I've learned along the way is that you're always disappointed when you set expectations of other people. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to allow people to be who they are and you allow them to learn from their experiences and you impart to them what wisdom you may have and however they process it and right. embrace it, you know. And I think the other thing is that we have to lead through example. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the demonstration, I think, I hope that the demonstration of my life through my work um, will bring the genuineness and authenticity that they need. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. To continue. And through your work, how do you um, see your work over the next five years? The way I see my work over the next five years is I want Strive to Thrive to become a model for other programs. Mm -hmm. I want us to be able to expand even into other places mm -hmm. to be able to even show other cities mm -hmm. how to do what it is strive to thrive is doing and be successful it's certainly a, a fantastic model and um a beautiful way a beautiful approach that that is it's so holistic you know and the tools that you that you're using the tools that you share with us today mm -hmm. Uh, which I know just the tip of the iceberg are, you know, fantastic things that we can each take into our lives and practice. As I said, I'm going to go home and do the three-chair exercise. And just as they're living documents, I, I want to say that Strive to Thrive is a living program. We're ever evolving and we're meeting the needs of people where they are. And so as needs are identified, we want to be able to be able to meet those needs, certainly engaging the community because we're very volunteer centric and we are open to being able to partner in any way we can, you know, to be able to meet those needs and help each other grow and increase our capacity to serve. Absolutely. Thank you so much You're welcome. for everything Thank that you. you've given us today and everything that you've given to this community over time. Thank you. And as being an, the example that you spoke of, of a growing, evolving family structure that's, uh, that's inclusive and loving and caring and accepting of, of the members of your family. So thank you so much thank for you. all of that. And I have one, one last question, okay. and that is, if you had absolute power, what would be the one thing that you would do to improve family culture? I must tell you that I cannot answer that question with one thing because it's a multi-dimensional 
um, issue. And so I cannot tell you one thing because there are many things. And what are some of those things? Some of those things that it involves is education. Mm-hmm. Not just educating those families, but the people who support those families, our governmental entities, all of those things fall into place. Because I think it's so very important for people to understand the worldviews of each other. And until people can understand the worldviews and respect the worldviews of other people, it's going to be almost impossible to change the culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Internally changing culture in the family just involves people being educated and practically applying the things that they learn. Thank you so very much again for um, for all the all the wisdom that you share with us and all the service that you share every single day. So that's it for this episode of Blood and Spirit. That's what it's about. Y'all have a good day. Thank you.